0: Hey guys, welcome back to The Rhythm Section, brought to you, as always, by The Mind Refinery. I'm Kyle Bodanis. This week, Coburn and I talk to LA producer Jan Sport J. This guy has worked with everyone from Benny the Butcher and Freddie Ibs to Hitboy and Snoop Dogg. We talk about growing up close to LA, the role of the album in today's music industry, and a bunch of other insight into what it takes to be a top-level producer in the game today. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you have time, follow The Mind Refinery on social media. And now, here's the show. All right, team. This week, we're joined by an immense West Coast talent. His production credits include work for Freddie Gibbs, Absol, and Snoop Dogg. This year, he's dropped three albums and a beat tape. His latest work, Any Weather, is dope. And if you haven't heard it, please do so. It's really great. Uh, please welcome Jan Sport J. Jay. Jay, thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: So, how is everything going in LA right now?
1: Uh, everything is good man uh outside of this lockdown you know it's a championship city right now so you know everything yeah Yeah,
0: you guys are definitely uh killing it right now and you know in fact it's the uh i kind of this is how i want to start is really talking about you know the lockdown and everything i mean 2020 has been a pretty crazy often dark year for everybody uh but you've put out three albums and a beat tape um like was that was this because of the isolation or was this the plan to always be putting out this this amount of work
1: mm-hmm. yes yeah, it's, it's a mix of both um i think within the past two years i've kind of uh, just increased my output in general i just feel like that's the uh the musical climate that we're in now and so i just kind of had to find a way for me to to put out a lot of work before it to feel like quality material i kind of come from the the album making uh generation so With so many EPs and quick projects, you kind of have to keep up with the speed of of music right now, but I still treat each project like a a mini album. So that's really what it was about. And uh, the lockdown really just kind of allowed everybody to zone in. And and for the people that were already on that wave, we were kind of the ones that were really able to take advantage of it and just get to work, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean... I feel like a lot of artists have kind of taken advantage of that. And you almost feel like sometimes, um, you know, the writing in isolation almost creates like a different wavelength for the music. What has been inspiring you, you know, lately? Like, how do you, like, how do you get your inspiration during times like this?
1: Uh, honestly, just a lot of, uh, it, it comes from within just being a, a motivated, kind of ambitious creative. I just like, I have a personal Almost addiction to just bodies of work. I always want to feel like I'm working on something or working towards something. So that's always helped. And you know, just kind of the musical climate right now. I'm, I'm blessed to be able to work with probably the hottest producer in the game right now, and Hit Boy. So you know, when I get in the studio with him and hear everything that he's working on, and they, you know, I'm able to play what I'm doing. We just kind of, you know, inspire each other, and iron sharpens iron. And so. Just stuff like that and just the you know the musical scene right now with uh cats like Roselda, and you know was able to be a part of benny's album and uh TDE as usual dreamville just everything that's going on just being able to contribute to music right now is is really the inspiration while the windows open for me to do what i'm doing just gotta you know keep the the workflow high
2: i mean you've had like an incredible year you've Put out so much work, and I think your name's kind of ascending. And like you know, your collaborations with with Hit Boy and being on the the Benny album. Like, how's the reaction to to that been? Have like a lot more people been kind of interested in you and kind of going back over your work since that uh that album came out?
1: Yeah, for sure. um I feel like I've kind of lived in this weird kind of uh, musical purgatory where um I think a lot of people were familiar with the name and just me uh, being around for so long, as far as just Producing during the blog era, you know, the late 2000s, like that first decade, and um, putting out instrumental albums, and you know, just working with artists here and there. But uh, within the past year, being able to collaborate with, uh, you know, kind of higher profile um, artists, uh, I think it's brought a lot more attention to to what I'm doing. And thankfully, I, I actually preferred it this way, you know, to be able to kind of build a name and a career over time. And, you know, when people, when you do get that light, people have a, a back catalog to look at. And it, it doesn't feel like a, a, a flash in the pan moment. It feels like, you know, this is something I've been working towards for a long time. And, you know, the light is starting to shine my way. So, you know, I've been prepared for it and, you know, just taking advantage of, of the looks that people are giving right now. So,
0: Growing up in proximity to L.A., like how does that affect how you dream as a kid and like what your ambitions are? Um, like do you kind of look at you know that you're you know you're in close proximity to an epicenter so it's possible like how does that affect your your mentality and your ambition
1: yeah um, well living in growing up in Covina you know we're we're 30 minutes outside of LA and you know it's to people in LA is kind of this I wouldn't say it's the boonies as far as like that the IE that they consider the boonies but uh we're definitely not in the center of LA but for people in Covina, it's like LA is right there. And it's, to me, it's nice to be able to go out there and work and run around and to come back to a little bit of a slower pace um, than the hectic, you know, downtown area. But I'd say growing up, you know, it, it it really wasn't a thing. It was just, you know, especially when I had a family, you know, my grandfather lived like in South Central. Um, so LA was always there. So I, I never looked at the city as like, you know, big dreams hoping to make it out there you know it's just like you know that's the the big city near us and i guess things always felt possible um i never kind of came into the game with a, a small town mindset if anything um with the cities being in proximity to la you think about inglewood you think about like i said south central um, um watts you know all these different cities and, and covina is definitely on that you know, we're outside of all of that, but we just took great pride in it and where we were from. Um, and we always had like a joke out here that, you know, West Covina is the main city. And we, anytime you mention it to somebody from LA, they'll say that they have a cousin that lives out there or a girlfriend that they used to date or <laughs> something like that. So people knew about the area. So we really just looked at it as an opportunity as, you know, we're not specifically LA, uh, but we're close to LA. People know about us. And this is you know our opportunity to brand where we're from so i take great pride in being from the cove in the 626 area so it's a it's a mixed bag of you know like i said it la wasn't this far off like you know magical place but at the same time i just took a lot of pride in where i was from and just always try to represent that do you think like hit boy also from being like being from the
2: ie did that Did you guys kind of connect over that of being like you know in the shadow of LA, but like having your own styles and your own, you know, gifts to bring the world.
1: Yeah. I think it just allowed a lot of people from our generation to embrace that because we aren't all from, you know, the, the metropolitan city like that. You have Pasadena, you have San Bernardino, you have, you have a lot of bigger cities that are outside of LA. So um, I think we were definitely able to relate on that. And then, uh, you know, me and Hit, we, we, I think we met on Twitter like 2011 we might have been myspace friends before that but we're like the same age range. so i think we've always known of each other and had respect for each other i've known him since before the Kanye deal um so to see somebody you know kind of come up in their career and at the same time he's been able to watch me do my thing um not necessarily within the mainstream industry but just you know independently and through the underground race and to have a, a healthy respect for each other and you know, the biggest thing with us is we've always kind of tapped in here and there over the years and, and did work here and there, but it was really just about timing and synergy. When you moved over to Chalice, I want to say two or three years ago, you know, I just started going there a lot and we just started really building our chemistry out and it's really a testament to you know, you can't put a, a square peg in a round hole. Things are going to happen when they're supposed to happen. So over us knowing each other eight or nine years and the past two years for us to work as heavy as we have you know it's just a testament of you know alignment and timing really
0: what was the la scene like you know because it's kind of you were kind of came up at a weird spot right so you were you know post the game success and pre-kendrick and you know you also came up at a time when the music industry was kind of in turmoil you know sales were declining you know there wasn't but there wasn't uh you know the sales were declining but there wasn't that soundcloud streaming infrastructure yet like how did that how did you know both those kind of situations, um, you know, inform your career and how your music developed?
1: It was important. It's beautiful looking back at it because we learned how to not be so reliant on the internet. Um, like you were saying, I you know, I really kind of started out taking myself seriously. Two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I was interning at Interscope, so I'm there like in the middle of the music industry just crashing. I think we were pushing like Eminem's second. Or not second album, but like his return album. Um, yeah, and you know, we just didn't know how to sell music at that time. And you know, within the LA scene where I was producing, you know, we had PAG did, we had U and I, you had Blue, Don Kennedy. Um, we just kind of had like this resurgence of West Coast hip hop that wasn't necessarily the gangster rap that people were familiar with. I think at that time. You still had from that lineage, you had J Rock and you had Glasses Malone. Um, you had a lot of artists like that. And we were just kind of the other side of, I would say we were like the lineage of Far Side, where it was like, you know, we don't gangbang or anything like that, but we just like, you know, fly chicks and fly sneakers and, and rapping and bikes and all that type of stuff.
0: First, it's funny because Far Side has such an interesting place in LA, you know, in LA lore and LA hip hop. Because like they drop uh, Lab Cab in California, which I is one of my favorite hip hop albums of all time. You know they really drop it amidst that. You know w- with N W A happening and you know all that. Eventually Dre dropping his first album. Like do you like do you think that sound kind of you know got lost in the mix at that time?
1: I think it got lost around that time. But I think things also move in cycles, and you have to think people from that from that blog era. Like I said, myself and Pac Div and Dom and you know even Kendrick. We all grew up. Like we listened to the chronic and we listened to lab cabin we kind of grew up with you know for me it was like we listened to everything it wasn't like a real hip-hop thing it's like my sister played nwa and we also played p rock and C L smooth that's how we grew up so like with the west coast music it was like we played dre and we played souls of Mischief. so in that
2: la scene post post the game kind of pre-kendrick in in the blog era when it was like you Impactive like Blue and Exile. What was it like transitioning to the era where now, where we see like a lot of West Coast acts become successful and and starting hitting the charts?
1: Yeah, I'd say the biggest thing is, so during that time period, we were also, you had the artists, uh, like the ones that you named, and then you also have blog sites that were kind of rising at the same time, and clothing lines. Um, we had, I want to say, like Diamond and Supreme and all that stuff started coming up. And then you had two dope boys, Easy Street, On Smash, all these different sites, um, even Hip-Hop DX. And really, it was just about, I think what we learned during that time period is once we had these blogs, we were able to have promotion as far as people were understanding who we were and our music and they were able to download the stuff for free. But then we had to figure out how to monetize it. And at that time, you weren't, you know, we kind of take for granted today, you could just upload some shit and it'll be on Spotify or Apple mute. That was rocket science to us back then. And so I remember uh, you and I being like the first group to to get their CDs in Best Buy. And then, you know, Kendrick sold like his EP on iTunes and stuff like that. Those are huge moments for us. And that's what we kind of learned, you know, to early on, which is, you know, something that this generation might struggle with, but it's like, you could have all the, the notoriety in the world, but if you don't have you know, finances and, and stuff along with that is kind of like a moot point. And uh, just kind of, you know, give an example of that, we were able to see Kendrick early on, you know, he was from the TDE camp, which at that time was kind of associated with a lot of the street labels. So they kind of just pressed up CDs and, you know, just moved it hand to hand. They weren't really heavy with the internet presence. so Kendrick was the first one I remember from that camp being smart enough to kind of, dive into what we were doing as well with like the whole blog era and connecting with you and I and PacDiv and getting MERS on the song. And he was able to get those blog looks, but also had the mentality of, of TDE and all these, you know, these legacy street rappers where it was like, you got to sell your CDs hand to hand. And that's where we were really able to kind of see things take off and kind of follow his lead with that.
2: Who was the first one you can remember being like super successful, out of that blog era, like, I, I remember, like, watching, like, Dom Kennedy's come up, um, and Kendrick, like, who would you say, like, was the one that you were like, hey, this, this person's kind of, like, elevated the whole scene at that time?
1: It would depend on what you would call successful. I know the big moments for us, I know it was huge when Pac uh signed their deal with, a uh, Universal Motown and they had Mayor. That was a huge moment in the city. I remember we would go to South by Southwest doing the dances and stuff like that. Uh, I remember when Blue signed with Warner Sire, that was a big deal. Um, when you know Dre shouted out Kendrick, that was a big deal. When Kendrick had the the concert at the Key Club and Snoop and Game and all of them came out. You know, there was a lot of moments during that era that was really important. Um, but kind of going back to Pag Div, I I feel like they were so important because. They were kind of, you know, all respect to them. Like is like an incredible producer now. Mibs is still working and be young as well. But they were kind of like the first casualty of, you know, what the what we had to figure out what the industry was about. You have to keep in mind, like I said, we were blog era kids were just posting our music, trying to figure out how to monetize it. And they were among the first to get a record deal. So then it was like, okay, let's see how this works out. And, you know, when you sign with a record deal, our record company, especially around 2010, they're still in that ancient mindset of we need a hit. They're not recognizing the energy that you have in the city. They just want a hit record. And so you're chasing that hit record for two or three years and you're losing momentum on what you were building. And so we learned from them and from other artists at that time, okay, maybe signing the record deal isn't the greatest thing. Maybe you have to work it like Kendrick and TDE did to where you become so undeniable that you could become like a partner with the label. Um, And they just kind of leave you alone and do what you do. But it was important to see people like Pac-Div just kind of jump out there and and take some bullets for us and to learn like, okay, that maybe that's not how we want to do it. So um, we just, there was a lot of lessons learned in that era that I feel like our generation has, you know, those that stuck it out, continue to make music. We're kind of, you know, it's almost like we're just veterans at this. And, you know, we just know how to continue to, just put out our own stuff and do what we do.
2: So speaking of uh, putting out your own stuff, I see like of all your success you've had on Bandcamp, like how do you feel that platform compares to the DSPs and, you know, to kind of put stuff out and be able to receive better income than like, you know, your streaming percentages that are like 0.0 cents of a royalty.
1: Yeah. The streaming platforms is goofy. Honestly, I throw stuff on there just to be accessible. I don't look to it for you know financial income. Bandcamp for me is really for the fan, Uh, the Jam Sport J fan that wants to buy the vinyl, that wants to buy the digital, that wants to buy the hat, that wants to buy the poster. You know, it's it feels like a real community over there. And I've I've been you know posting music on Bandcamp. I want to say since like 2012, 2011 maybe. Uh, So to watch that community like grow over the years, and it's always been very Producer friendly and they're accessible you know I've met with them a couple of times they they always show love to the projects and you know they do editorial write-ups and stuff like that. I just think it's important for any artist to kind of identify what works for them and to just you know continue to use that and for me, bandcamp has been super crucial in my um, in my career. I would say it was the best transition for me from the blog era into actually okay how do I monetize this how do I make this a business for myself because I always kind of had the foresight of you know one day we're not going to be on these blogs as heavy as we are you know these these blogs can just go away one day you know uh, uh, the links could die you know so how would anybody know that you were here so that's when I kind of started trying to shift the mindset into building things on my own and having you know physical product as well because that that doesn't disappear
0: especially with the you know the kind of resurgence of vinyl too you know what i mean like it's funny i think if you had asked anybody in the late 90s or early 2000s if the cd if sorry the vinyl would outlast the cd they'd be like you're crazy but now it's you know for people who are looking for that physical you know connection to the music that seems to be the go-to
1: yeah yeah they just wanna they just want physical things i i had to you know i i'm a little weird myself because um i don't want to say i'm self-deprecating it's just weird when something is so natural for you like making music to think that people really love it and they want the things that you put out but it just comes down to that like a lot of fans they if i put out a vinyl like yes i want to Jam Sport J vinyl. I'm a Jam Sport J fan. This is how I show that I'm a Jam Sport J fan. So it's a vinyl. It's a poster. It's, you know, a t-shirt. It's stickers. It's it's tangible product. And I, I feel like, especially at this time, it's, it's just good to kind of train your fans. You know, I'm a fan of of some of this shit being analog. You know, like I said, all this shit could disappear if we just leave everything on the internet. And um, I remember what it was like to go to buy the CD and to get the poster of my favorite MCs and stuff like that. And I still want to keep some of that alive, you know, for the younger generation. So that's, that's kind of what's worked for me personally.
0: Coburn, let me, I was interested in your thoughts on this too. So like when I was, you know, growing up for, you know, I was all about, I need to get vinyl records. I need to get the CDs. I'm taking a paycheck. I'm liquidating that into records the whole, you know, the whole fucking time. But I used, um, st- you know, streaming, like even like Napster, as kind of a way of previewing and then purchasing. Because I mean, at the, in the late nineties or two thousands, part of the problem was I think that um, you'd have like two good songs on an album, and that kind of threw people off. Uh, like, what was your relationship with uh, like you know streaming and things like Napster as you got older, and Coburn? I'd love to know your opinion as well.
1: Uh, me personally, like my opinion on that, I would think, um. Like I, I was a, I was a nerd that wanted to buy the CD and look at the credits, you know. Mm. And like you were saying, you, you do have a, I think there's just a different mentality with listening to music now. It's almost we have so much at our discretion that, on the good side, you're open to hearing a lot of different things. Um, if I've never heard of an artist or whatever, I can just go and stream it real quick and like, oh, okay, cool. I actually like them. Uh, So that's, you know, on the positive side. But on the negative side, I don't think we listen to music long enough. We don't give things a chance. Um, You know, back in the day, I might have bought a reasonable doubt in the first listen that I might not have been crazy over. You know, and the more you listen to it, like I didn't like Twenty Two Twos that much at first. And the more you listen to it, oh. You're crazy, crazy. But but that's (laughs) what happens when you sit with music. Like, I I could say with, uh, I mean, that was a made up example, but like a real example would be the <laughs> Black album. Like, you know, I'm not a fan of Eminem beats. So when you hear a moment of clarity and stuff, I'm just like, ah, oh, like I can't stand this shit. But then when you listen to what Jay is saying, actually this is hard and now this makes sense and the beat isn't overpowering him. If that's just, if I heard Black album for the first time on streaming, maybe I'm just like making a new playlist and I'm leaving that song out anymore, so. I think it's important for you know obviously you can't put you can't put that shit back in the bottle but I feel like it's important to at least have that as an option to kind of just like sit and listen with with music again and to live with it.
2: Yeah, I think like there's there, there's good things about streaming but I think there's also like the kind of playlistization of everything where people there's a lot of artists who aren't making full albums anymore or they're just making singles and they're, and they're making music to live on playlists. And I think you're training listeners to listen to music in a, in a way that I think hurts artists. Because I think if you're a full and complete artist, you want to put an album out and you're putting, you're taking time to put thought into sequencing the album. You're taking time to, to think about all the beats and how this has flows and, you know, how like a 40 minute or an hour and a five, a five minute listen like goes. So when you kind of start adding everything to a streaming playlists and stuff like that, you're pulling apart the music and you're ruining cohesiveness. And I think the way that people listen to music now isn't with the artist's intentions in mind as much. It's more, oh, I like this song. I like this mood. Let me just take this and pull it, put it with something else. And I think it kind of ruins something about listening to an album.
1: Yeah. And I, I to just add to that, I don't think anybody from this generation is going to grow up and say, like, man, like, with all due respect, that rap caviar playlist from November 27th, man, that shit raised me. Like that was, you know. What
2: I'm <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: How you connect with, but somebody's gonna hear this Benny the Butcher album, or they're gonna hear, you know, good kid Mad City. Like these are important moments in their life. So it's just, you know, it's it's a weird time. Like you said, like people are making music for playlists and I can't knock it, but that's just not, that's not what I'm cut from. You know, that's not there's a bigger purpose to me with this music thing.
0: That's one thing Coburn and I talk about a lot too is, you know, there's kind of your feeling with, I mean, even guys like 21 Savage doing a whole album with Metro Boomin, you know what I mean? It's kind of like you're seeing a resurgence of the album a bit because you're getting all these like producer, um, you know, artist combinations where they're deciding to stick together for a full, I mean, you see this with Freddie Gibbs, especially working with like Alchemist and Madlib where it's like they get together in a room and they come up with this like landscape and they put it out and it's a whole album from beginning to end. And I think, you know, I, I think that's only better for music. Like, where do you think the album as an art form is
1: right now? It, it's funny that you say that. Cause I, I talk about that in the studio with hit boy a lot. We, we kind of say we're, we're giving them what people don't know that they still want. You yeah. know, you, you're so caught up in these playlists but like you say even if you take away because it's easy to say okay cool freddie and mad lib and um just all these you know kind of expected like i hate the term real hip-hop but what somebody would call real hip-hop shit, like okay cool that's expected but like you said metro Lumen and uh 21 savage like that's dope because it's cohesive and he's giving them like a world to live in and i think that shit is important so i think for as much as these labels are trying to get rid of the album format because that's exactly what they're trying to do because it just makes more sense for them to to be single based it's less risk it's less you know money you can kind of focus all your efforts and resources into one thing like it's easier to do it that way but that's not how music works people are all people aren't going to know that they missed the album until they get incredible albums until you get the 21 savage or metro woman you get benny you get the new nas album These are moments that, you know, just looking at social media, like you'll see people like certain songs and projects here and there. But when an album comes out that really shifts the culture, you have those moments all over again, where it's like people didn't know that they were missing that feeling. And I don't think that's honestly ever going to, you know, go away. It might be a lot less frequent, but I think you're always going to have to come back to giving an artist a world to live in and, you know, letting them tell their story.
2: Yeah, I think you're right on that. Like I think like you can still see it through social media when an album connects and that is something that you can't replicate with a singles bass or with an album that, that doesn't measure up because I think the albums that, you know, aren't made with intention, you don't get those moments of everybody talking about that album front to back because there's no front to back on it. They're like, Oh, I like these three songs on it and then we'll never discuss the album again But you know the albums that you connect with that you're playing like you Know a good kid, or you know, like even those mixtapes era. Like when you talk about Pac Div, like Church League Champs, like I'm still listening to Church League Champs, and that like I think Pac Div were ahead of their time. And I think you know, certain people connect on, on a crazy level like that.
1: Little kids, all those people from that era, like you, you have to think you love these artists because like of their products. You love Tom Kennedy because of uh, From the West Side with Love and Yellow Album, you yeah, you love Blue because of uh. Blow the Heavens, you no, know, like these are every artist that you love damn near, you could tie to a to an album like when yeah. so to me that's always going to be important
2: and yeah it's like the real music only real music going the last right like that that quote and i think that like it's forever true so if you if you could pick i know i think i know a few artists that you've kind of done this with but if you could pick some artists that you haven't worked with to do a jane sport jay and this artist on an, an album together who, who would you pick right now
1: Oh, man. Um, honestly, I I find a lot of like just excitement in working with like new talent, you know, um, I'm blanking right now, but I, I definitely want to do some more R&B stuff. Um, me and Stally work. I love to keep doing that with Stally. Uh, me and Benny chop it up. I, I love to work with him some more. Anybody really, I think it's, it's, it's not so much, I think when I was younger, I had my list of like, now I love to work with Lupe Fiasco. I love to do like a 10 track joint off Lupe. Um, but it used to be like, you know, Lupe and Ghostface and wanting to just have specific people. But now it's more so the challenge of, you know, whoever approaches, what could I give them? Like, where could they, you know, push me and stretch me? What do I hear for them? Um, so it's more so that than like, you know, pinpointing, I want to work with this person on the project. So, you know, um, Smoke this is somebody, you know, me and Dom Kennedy, we have a lot of records. I'm trying to push him to do a project, uh, but I think we're going to do something else with him. But, you know, whoever really wants to work, honestly.
0: How do you balance, you know, if when you're working with an artist, your style versus their style? Like how much is it, like, are you looking for someone with a specific sound? Are they looking for someone with a specific sound? How does that work in terms of like establishing chemistry?
1: I so I come from a background of like when I was interning at Interscope, I wanted to be an A and R. So I still have that spirit. And I think most producers kind of have the spirit, anyways, of just like listening and um just kind of understanding where an artist is coming from in their trajectory and what they could do and their potential. And so that always is kind of exciting to me. Um, it's definitely a balance of, it's really a process. And I could just kind of walk you through it is, I you know, somebody approaching saying that they want to work, if it's intriguing to me, a lot, a lot of times it'll just make sense if Stalley wants to work. Yeah, that makes sense. We make similar music. Um, there was an artist that I worked with in the past named El Prez, who we did a project together, but I was so fascinated by that because he has a super deep LA accent. And I have these soul sounding beats. So to me, that was like, okay, what would that sound like? Like, what kind of world do I wanna create for him that he's still gonna be inspired by, he could still write to, but still sounds like me. Like, it's gotta be a little bit out of my zone, but still sound like me. And so sometimes just that challenge, sometimes with that specific situation, he said the title of the album and I knew exactly what it sounded like. He said, Urban Street Americana. And I was like, oh, that sounds like, industrial, soulful 70s type shit. I know exactly I'm gonna start creating it, You know, so it's really just about um I think the most important thing for me is almost like a method act of just throwing yourself completely into the idea of working with somebody. So it's like whatever that personal requires for me and Stally, it was like we're gonna to work together and we're gonna talk on the phone for two hours every other day just about music about life i'm gonna figure out who you are what you like what you don't like you're gonna learn that about me i'm gonna figure out okay like this is what the industry has done for you and this is what you hate about it you would probably like to rap about some shit like this maybe i can give you production that's a little emotional that will allow you to get these things off your chest it's really about being intuitive and to me that's it's important to be able to that's just old school producing to me. That's what I learned from a, a Ninth Wonder, a Pete Rock, a Premier. It's just like how to produce artists in that fashion.
0: Well, it's interesting because you kind of allude to a personal relationship that's needed to establish where you have to understand them as a human being. And I feel like all the best producers do that from like Rick Rubin, you know, all the way to someone like Metro Boomin, where they have to really understand. Like Metro Boomin with 21 Savage is about understanding this looking at things through like a cinematic and, or horror lens and understanding you know where he's coming from with that so it's really interesting that you say that because it's kind of like the through line for good production
1: right percent.
0: where do you think the industry is now i mean we had talked about when you were coming up you know it was you were kind of in this weird gray area like where for you what is the health of the industry now um you know what are some of the bad things some of the good things like tell us what your thoughts are
1: I think it's healthy in the sense that there are so many lanes open that I have the personal standpoint that you really, unless you're locked into a crazy deal before where we're at right now, you really can't play the victim because there's so many avenues for you to just make a way for yourself. Um, So I think it's healthy that we have, you know, if you're, if you want to be a playlist artist and, you know, there's a lot of people that do well at that you know, make music for playlists, you can do that. If you want to do licensed sync, you can do that. If you want to sell your music on Bandcamp, you can do that. If you want to be a specialized artist that sells your album like Mac homie for like 500 bucks and sell your vinyl for a thousand, you can do that. So I think it's healthy and that the internet has really opened up all the lanes to, you know, to just make a success out of yourself. Um, I think what's a little unhealthy is just The specific lane of, you know, I would say mainstream music industry as far as uh, just the way producers are still treated, uh, the contracts that these people kind of come up with, the the fact that you can make like fractions of a cent on a record, like just all that. Me and my manager kind of laugh at this shit because when we do like the official placements and we look at the paperwork and all that, it's it's just so goofy to me because you're telling me oh, I'm gonna the make-
2: points like the point system, I think, is so flawed like, in that way.
1: No, oh, just give me my advance, give me my fee, and make sure the back end is fair, but I'm not I'm not looking, I'm not waiting on the payday with the back end because it's so fucked right now. And that's why I'm just even working with some artists, I'm like, oh, like low-key, I'm doing just as well on Band Camp, then you are within the label system and you have all the press in the world and all the notoriety and all the fans you know the following social media following so um i'd say what's you know kind of predatory still is just some of these these music industry contracts and the way that they're actually doing it but that's why my personal approach is to have all these different lanes say okay i can go play the music industry game i can go get a co-production with hip boy but that's not my bread and butter my bread and butter is jazz 4j and my beat tapes and my merchandise and that's just another stream of revenue. So I'm not sitting here crying victim over, you know, an industry that's predatory, but it's like, look, there's money for me over here too, but I'm not dependent on that. So it's really just about kind of, you know, adapting to what's going on.
2: How was your, touring, like, I know you're probably missing it now, but what did you, how'd you find that experience like going on the road? Yeah,
1: it's, it's inspiring for me. Uh, we just kind of got into the mindset of, we just had to go out. A lot of times it's so fun to just go somewhere for the first time and um, just make some connections and touch the ground. And, you know, right before the pandemic, I went to, it was a crazy week. Uh, I, we were working on the Nas album and I had a joint on there, but the sample didn't clear. Uh, but we were working on the Nas album, and so that was going to come out Valentine's Day at first as a surprise album. And then I was going to Japan that week, flying out on my birthday, which was the 19th, to do my first Japanese tour. Um, so we did that for about two weeks and had my first sold out shows and stuff like that. And it's just, it's important to, especially within the States, I, I'm sure Canada's a little similar to the Toronto scene, um, but when you, especially in a major city like LA, it's very easy to feel like you're just another, um, you're just another pawn in the industry. You, you kind of go to a show, the crowd is full of rappers and producers who work just like you. You don't feel like you, you're doing anything ex- extravagant. You're in the game, but it, you don't feel like you're making real impact until you go out of these places, um, until you go to Madrid, Spain, or you go to Tokyo and you just realize you have real fans here that you never would have known about. So touring for me was it was super inspirational. Um, it gave me my second win. A lot of that is what I came back home with and was ready to work. And some of the placements started happening. Um, but for me, it's important to go out and see the world and get some inspiration and and throw it right back into what we're doing. So,
0: how do you think the COVID situation is going to you know change that when we're coming back? You know, like I, I feel like. I feel like it could pick up and, and, and be the way it was, but it just feels like everything, like the paradigm has kind of changed. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I, I I just don't know if things will ever be like it was. Um, I'm sure things will get better. It reminds me of uh, the States when we had 9-11 and how we did, you know, how we traveled and how the world was before that. And then what happened after 9-11, we We're fine. We We rebounded, but certain things aren't the same. I can't just go to the gate and wait for, you know, my loved one to get off the flight. There's certain things that, you know, the world is different. And I think that's what COVID is doing right now. Um, But, you know, I I really can't, I can't call it, I don't know what's gonna happen, but uh, it's important to just be able to adapt and and to be ready for whatever comes. I'm still, as soon as things open up some more, just gonna kind of get out there just to get that inspiration, because just as much as performing was important, it's important for me to just, tap with a different culture and get to know some people and collaborate with artists out there and, you know, kind of open up your creative process. But uh who knows? I, I hope things kinda get back to to somewhat normal where we could safely go out there and perform. And I miss DJing a lot. You know, I, I do a lot of beat sets, but I, I really do miss DJing because DJing for me kind of gave me the it was like a day off from the intense like feeling like I had to make something and I just kind of vibed out. You know, provided, you know, just a good feeling for people. And a lot of times I would hear certain parts of records I wasn't even listening to. And then I can kind of go back and, you know, sample or get inspired from it when I go back home.
2: Do you ever find, like, you get kind of stuck into, like, a rut producing? Or, like, you, it's hard to, like, kind of, like, find new ideas or fresh fresh ideas?
1: Yeah, definitely. And it, it's a cyclical thing. You just have to know. um, You just got to put one foot in, from, in front of the other. And... What's important for producers to know is that it's not always about opening the beat machine and making the beats. Those, those days when you're not it the creatively, there's administrative stuff you can do. You could be registering your songs, which a lot of producers aren't doing. You could be sending emails. You could be sending out beat packs from old stuff. And sometimes you could just be sitting and listening through old albums and studying. You know, I, I kind of, especially when I get into an album mode, I just like studying my favorite albums and not so much Mimicking what they did, but understanding what they did and why they did it. So, like an example of that, before I think I did my low album, I was listening to Midnight Marauders a lot, and
0: such a good album.
1: I'm not mistaken. I I realized that most of that album is between 91 and 94 BPM, and like a lot of the classic '90s albums are between that that BPM range. So I'm like, okay, let me start just doing what I do now, but let me see if I can get this same kind of feel. He's like intrinsic things that maybe uh, the fans not tapping into, but it's a part of, you know, what we're attached to with classic, you know, classic albums. So there's a lot of things that you could do outside of just the the making beats every day is when you're in, you know, those creative ruts.
2: How do you find to, I think like watching the industry, you see production styles kind of come in trend and come in vogue and then go away, like you watch someone like Lex Luger whose sound, you know, becomes the sound of hip hop for a little bit, and then, you know, he's not hot anymore so then people cool off on him and then somebody else kind of becomes that sound. So how do you find that, like you avoid, you know, falling to trends or, you know, keeping your style, you know, kind of open?
1: That's That's been the biggest blessing for me. I. You know, producing as long as I have, I've kind of gone through the eras where people told me, you know, back in 2008, 2009, you need to make some of the 80s sounding cool kids type stuff. And then, you know, 2011, you need to make dubstep. 2013, you need to make trap. I've always just kind of made what felt good to me, like I'm soul sample based. But if I want to do some other shit, I'm going to do some other shit. And it's really about not chasing the trend. And the way it's worked for me is, you know, when you're consistent for so long with a sound and people can kind of figure out who you are without being boring, but just like, that's a, you know, that's a ninth wonder sound, that's a Four J sound, that's a Neptune sound. Um, When you build that for yourself, people kind of come to you for it. And so that's when me and Hip boy really started locking in again, where it was like, he wanted to, he was just on his rapping shit, he wanted to get his raps off. When you want to do that, you got to come back to some boom bap, some soul, some, you know, that type of stuff that pulls it out of you. So he was able to tap in with me because, you know, that's where I was at. That's where I've been at since he knew me. And now, you know, ironically, when the music industry comes back to that, you have Griselda and you have all these people that are just rapping again. It's like, all right, well, we got to tap in with Jazz Boy J because that's what he's been doing. You no, know, so it's it's really kind of worked out for me, kind of sticking to my guns.
2: I think that I think that's amazing. I also wonder too, like you mentioned that Nas track that you that d- you worked on that didn't make the album because of sample clearances. Have you had any other like big songs knock it out there because of sample clearances?
1: Um, not because of sample clearances, but I uh, this is another song for um a Hit Boys album uh young and black that's one he actually sent to jay-z and jay-z wanted it and i just don't think he ever got around to it so he just used it on his project but there's a lot of almost uh placements that have happened which you know we kind of laugh about now when it comes to me sending out packs to certain rappers i tell you know me and my manager laugh about it. i said oh, i've been i've had nas and jay-z songs fall through so nothing can like nothing can like really like happen phase to you have you after that. that's yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't feel like I'm missing on anything. It's like when, when things are aligned, it's going to work out. You know, these people know who I am. So, you know, it is what it is. But um, there was a game record as well that we did for um, his last album that didn't make it. There was a Yo Gotti song that hit boy did that didn't get cleared because of the sample. So that's part of the game that you play, especially when, you know, you sample a lot. Some of these people are going to clear. Some of them want to charge crazy amounts. But that's, I've also kind of adapted to the sample pack game as far as, you know, just finding sample packs and producers that have a sound that makes sense for me and to still make it soulful and to feel like it's an actual sample. So
0: First of all, I I, you know, I've really spent the last few days, you know, kind of diving into your discography. You know, contemporary instrumental albums tend to gravitate towards luminaries like, you know, J Dilla and Pete Rock. But, you know, you've been able to say away from like getting into like fully into those sounds and being trapped within them and like really kind of adding you know a level of originality to it like how do you keep fresh like how do you you know keep the ideas flowing so you're not like just retreading old ground
1: um it's a great question honestly i feel like j- just being uh it's like kinetic energy you know like if if you just stay moving object was that from like, science that's an object that's emotional will stay emotion. You know what I mean? Like if you just continue to work, ideas will continue to come. Um so I just try to continue to work and just, you know, whenever there's an idea, I just run towards it. You know, I, I try not to let it fester. I, I, I really try not to overthink things. I I just kind of dive into it, make it what it is and just you know, either put it out or sometimes it's like, all right, I'm not even putting this out, but I just needed to flesh out that idea to see what it was. And I was just gonna sit over here. Maybe in the future it'll make sense just to put out. But um I, I believe in being obedient to your just creative urges, your ideas, and just running after it, and not thinking too much about it. you know, I, I'd say, you know, and I take that as a compliment as far as you know, not sounding exactly like Dylan Pete Rock because that really just kind of comes over time people know i'm i started making instrumental albums because i heard donuts you know i didn't know you could do something like that
0: and that's kind of what i was referring to because i feel like after post like post donut when you heard instrumental hip-hop that's what was the trying to be you know try to emulate
1: that's the bible and i know dj shadow had done stuff before and pete rock and everything but for me personally you know i bought donuts the day that he died and um I just didn't know a project could have, like I was listening to it like it was an album and there was no rap. And I felt seen because, you know, at my core, I've always wanted to make bodies of work but I was a producer, which at that time, you gotta remember the instrumental album wasn't so popular. So I always had this thing where I'm starting to make beats, I'm starting to take myself seriously, but you're kind of at the, you know, you're at the mercy of artists of, you know, if they're vibing with these three or four beats you know, they're not exactly going to do it the the way that you see it, the way you envision it. So you kind of just have to, you know, chop it up to the game. But once I realized and listened to donuts, it was like, oh, I can make my own body. I could just be selfish and say, this is what I want an album to sound like. This is the journey I want to take somebody on. And so, yeah, donuts was super important for that. And over time is where you really kind of just find your own sound and find out who you are. Cause anybody, you know, when you start now out producing, you're going to sound like you're, you're famous. I was a ninth wonder clone when I started out and I was a Neptune's clone and I was a Dilla clone at one point and then you start to find your own sound and, you know, just build it out. So
2: did uh, switching from Fruity Loops to Machine like help you like switch your sound up a bit? thousand percent.
1: It allowed me to feel a lot more organic. Uh, FL Studio is a great program. For me, when I was using it, Everything is super intentional. So if you want the kick to hit here, you got to click it to that point on the grid. If you want the snare to hit, it's super intentional without really having experimentation. Once I got the machine, if my snare was a little bit late, it's like, wait a minute, wait, let me listen to that. That actually sounds kind of dope. Oh, okay, well now I could just put this chop over. It was a lot more opening up to my uh, creative process. So I think as soon as I switched the machine, my imagination grew a lot more and I was able to kind of make a lot of happy mistakes and, you know, mess around with plugins. You know, a lot of things that kind of became my sound, I, I did it on accident one day. and thought, oh, that sounds dope actually. Okay, cool. I'm gonna incorporate that into what I do. So, machine was like the perfect graduation for me because I'm a creature of habit. You know, people try to get me onto the MPC, onto Reason, to a lot of different programs and I just didn't take to it. But Machine, I was able to sit with it for about a week. And it was a good transition from FL Studio because I could still kind of look at a grid, but I had an actual drum pad to to do things organically.
2: So when you and Hip Boy are working, are you guys both on Machine, or is he on Fruity Loops?
1: He's on FL Studio.
2: He's on FL Studio still.
1: And yeah, we work a couple different ways. Sometimes um I'll come to the studio. He might just have a drum beat going and I'll pull up a sample and chop it up and put it on top of the drums he has. Sometimes he has a, a sample chop and he's trying to figure out the drums and I'll just, you know, plug my machine up to the ox and try out some drum sounds. If we get something we like export it over and then we start doing it together. Um, there's been a lot of times where I just send him beats and he might fuck with and say, send me the stems and he'll take the drums out and redo the drums or re-chop the sample. Um, it's free flowing. It, it really comes from a, a place of trust because we've just known each other for so long, and uh, we root for each other. So it's not a competition thing. It's just like, yo, let's make the dopest music possible. You know, the important thing about me and him, and a lot of producers in my circle, you know, G. Rye and Chasing Cash and uh, G. Day. We we come from that from that time period where we grew up listening to Blueprint, and we listened to. Drafts Five Quality Control, and we listen to Ill and Still and so we grew up with the album, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier. That's, those were our moments. And so now that we're kind of in our own lanes, kind of driving where the culture is at, we have the opportunity to bring that back into the game. And That's something that me and him talk about a lot. And I'm so happy that he's at the forefront of what's going on, because that's the pedigree he comes from. He will he will out rap and you know, he's he's really ahead, you know. He he listens to a lot of the stuff that we grew up on and he's like incorporating that into the music now. That's why Benny's album, we was we sat in that studio, I said, oh no, this feels like 98 to 020 to me. It sounds like hard knock life too, it sounds like blueprint too. It's all that infusing the music. And he was able to do that because that's where we come from and that's where he knew he could bring Benny to. And that's where Benny was at in his career. So
0: listen to your discography and i, re- I really enjoy it especially i'm very much into instrumental hip-hop it's good but i feel like when you get to pharaoh it's like it's an inflection point and you just go and it just it it the music becomes even more original and it uh like i i feel like that like at, around that time it's almost like there's some experimentation happening because it really kind of changes the road for you from
1: uh from a music point of view yeah that's a great observation i think. Farrell around that time period is when I really started um, stepping into my own and um, looking at what I was doing and the legacy that I wanted to leave and you no, know, Just realizing that, you know, I actually, it's, it's like I said, it's a weird thing to feel like you have any kind of impact or that you're doing something of of merit. But around that time, I started to really, you know, I'm a very humble person. At that time, I had to kind of take, you know, I had to take in some of my flowers and be like, no, you're you're doing dope shit and it's time for you to have a moment. And uh, that one was super organic because I, I went to, I'm weird, I love um, snow and cold weather. You know, I'm from LA, but I just love cold weather. I, I love Toronto and that cold up there, but- no, Yeah, we got I'm, lots of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I was bad my last trip, it didn't snow at all. It was cold as shit, but it didn't snow. But I went to, uh, I was in Brooklyn, you know, I love New York and uh, I was in my first real blizzard and we got snowed in and uh, I was like, damn, I want to make it out that feels like this. And then at the same time, I saw, I'm kind of weird, I could see certain pictures and just get inspired by it. And I saw this old school picture of Rakim and Eric B. And the way Rakim was looking at the camera, it was like, to me, Rakim has a super quiet confidence that I identify with, but he still exudes like I'm the shit, like I'm me, I'm Rock Kim, And that's kind of what I aspire to have myself, where it's like I'm humble on me, but I I am who I am. So it was really about like how do I make an album that just captures this feeling? And I, I was able to just stay in that mindset for you know however long I was working on that shit. It was a minute, but the first beat I made from that album was Han huh, OK. And that's when it was like it felt like Rock Kim in gritty snow. And I was like, This is what I have to follow. And kind of, you know, stay in this, in this world. So Pharaoh was very important and for me to do that. And for it, it to get the reception that it got, that was when I really started kind of going in that direction of just making albums in that way. And that was the one that Pitchfork got the look and I still haven't read that Pitchfork article because I can't read my own press, but. Uh,
0: I would too. I, I really would because like, first of all, I was like, cause I was going through your albums. I'm like, yo, Pitchfork gave this a 7.6. I'm like, these guys are the snobbiest mofos and the fucking world and so i'm like this album must be good and then uh yeah man it was it, it was really 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 good
1: yeah um, it's, it's dope but i i have a thing maybe i'll go back and read it one day but i learned very early on two dope boys at a beat battle uh like in 2008 and i was one of the producers that they picked and i think i might have had like a a record that had blue and dom kennedy and polyester so for the first time i was feeling myself a little bit And we did this beat battle and I got trashed in it. And I remember reading the comments and people were just acting like I was, you know, I thought he had potential. He went into this beat battle to beat is so shit and blah, blah, blah. And that's when I realized that I was like, oh, on the internet, they're either going to praise you too much or they're gonna shit on you too much. There's no middle ground. So as much as I can just kind of stay away from that noise and just, and work, you know, it's not about reading any of that. So I, I try to stick to that, but. One day I'm gonna have to go back and read that article.
0: I mean like LeBron James gets shit. So like uh from mostly me and Coburn. Uh but um <laughs> but uh you know what I mean? Like it's 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 funny because athletes say it. it's like everyone's gonna there's a bunch of people who are gonna say bad things about you, and there's a bunch of people who are gonna say good things about you, and you kind of just have to not believe any of it and do your shit.
1: Yeah, you have to know your own temperament too. Um I know I have thick skin and also at the same time I just don't need that energy overly you know being overly praised or you know overly criticized i, I just don't need either one to do it i do because the motivation is is within so that's that's just kind of where i try to stay with it really
2: so is jansport jay an official member of surf club
1: no no those are the homies though. those are uh <laughs> that's my family but um you would think so at this point but no we just it's, but it's it's a special energy right now. I'll say that much. I I tell Hit Boy all the time that that room over at Chalice is. I've I've personally had so many just like life changing important moments in there, that I'm gonna remember forever. You know, I sat in there and listened to an album with Nas. I sat in there during the racks in the middle sessions with Nipsey Hussle. Um, there's just been a lot of shit that's happened in that room and that there's so much good energy in there with the surf club members with big sean being in there a lot with it feels, and i, I want him to do it I, I want him to shoot that shit like fade to black because there's so much shit happening over there to where you could walk in that room and one day it's it might be benny the butcher or you know the most super rap guy you can think of and the next day it's like Gucci Mane or somebody like that, you know, like he had his versatility is so crazy that anybody can be in that studio any day. And uh, it's just a very special time. So I just try to stay locked in with him as much as possible. So, you
0: know, to kind of to kind of kind of wrap things up, what's next for you? Like, what is the plan? What is the what is the next step in uh, in your career?
1: Um, To continue to do what I'm doing, Um, I definitely want to increase. You know what I'm doing on a merchandise level. Uh give my fans a lot more uh just product and you know there's there's a lot of people that are happy for me right now and I, I want them to have the things that I had when I was listening to you know Ninth Wonder and Dilla just these merchandise and product pieces. So I'm definitely gonna do a lot more of that. Um, I'm looking to just just take this light and this torch I have and to try and do some different things, produce internationally. Um, I want to take the soul sound global. Um, continue to work with Hip Boy, continue to to work with people like Don Cannon, who's been showing a lot of love and the Benny, the butchers, and just whoever, you know, whoever's ready to work. You know, I'm just kind of looking at the door opening for me right now and me having an opportunity to to push music in a certain direction. So just staying locked in and, and working harder than ever at this moment. That's what is really about. Once once you get the light and some of the you know the notoriety is when you really got to go hard. And thankfully I've been ready for it. So there's been a lot of people asking for beat packs. I've been sending them out, but also just staying hungry and you know just continuing to work, so.
2: Are we, is there any other records we can expect to hear you on? Um, like other than like we heard you on Dom Kennedy, you put, just put out the album with Stally. Um, is there anything else we should be looking for like this year or early next year?
1: I think, uh... Benny the Butcher's artist Haim is coming out with the album that I'm on, so I got an, another record with Benny and uh, his guys. Um, me and Hip Boy always working, so I, I think they're doing like another um, half a mil project. You know, that's like home base. So me, Dom, and Hip Boy are always working. Um, me and Quentin Miller are, are locked in working. So, you know, just a lot more stuff like that, and sending packs out to some well-known artists that hopefully they, you know, they pick up on something. But yeah, just, you know, just trying to stay locked in, really.
0: Anything to plug before we head out?
1: Uh, Jansportjmusic.com. That's got the beat tapes, the solo discography. com is my merchandise home, so there will be more music there. And, yeah, just, uh, just shout-out to everybody that's been supporting. Shout-out to you guys for having me. I love Toronto, my favorite city. Um, shout-out to you guys.
2: Yeah, make sure you go uh, visit the band camp and uh, pick up a truck or hat or something sir
0: yes jay thank you so much for doing this appreciate you guys having all right guys we'll talk to you soon